0: right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 235. Just myself and Jason today. I don't think we're running hour one on YouTube, unfortunately. We're going to cover the so-called family Medici. Uh, You may recall that they basically, this is all drawn from the mainstream timeline. So have a pinch of salt ready with you for dates and other things. But that's where we start. So we can start to take it apart and add what we can add, but a couple things. Uh, Is our word medicine drawn from this name? Is there a relationship there? I would suggest that there is. Uh, We were told that they owned and operated Florence, which would be the heart of what we call the Renaissance. In my view, uh, the Renaissance has been misportrayed for all of history. In my view, what it was was the move to hyper-materialism, a complete doing away with the natural ideas that were then labeled pagan, the so-called church and done away with, making all these old natural ideas, natural sciences, the sky clock, all of it about to be obfuscated. The Medici's are going to be at the heart of this. But what's more is they acted like they were big in the church. As a matter of fact, they end up being popes from this family. How can that be? Because they are, in fact, what people would call crypto-Jews, although I have a problem with that. And I think this is part of the ninja double reverse that's gone on in our life, uh, because I think that their true ancestry is actually a bit different, and we'll add that in. And to be perfectly upfront about it, uh, I think these guys are from the Mosaic bloodline, which was basically redacted when Ezra came back out of bondage um, from Babylon and rewrote the portions of what we call the Old Testament that he did, which is openly admitted now. Anyhow, welcome, Jason.
1: And a fine good morning it is. And by the way, I'd take a visit to your local alchemist and get more than a pinch of salt, I think.
0: <laughs> That's the thing about the timeline. But you see, these are the things that need to be reset now. So I, you know, I used to not really want to have to use the mainstream timeline, but it's what we had to talk about things. But like right now where I am, you know, here, here's another indicator that all these old nonsensical things that we used to act like were the be all and end all are going away. In my neck of the woods, they just took down a statue of Christopher Columbus of all things that's been standing there hundreds of years or I don't know, close to 200 years. I don't even know. It's a long damn time. Um, He didn't found this country and everybody knows it. Well, there's another lie uh, that is being swept away in all this. And I will maintain until I see a good reason not to that. I don't think this reset is doom and gloom. And I think it it mirrors a lot. The idea of the endgame Marvel movies, all this bad right now, if I was going to correlate it, we're in the part where all the bad stuff's going on. People have disappeared bad dude in charge, uh, soon to go away. I think it's a bit like that, but it remains to be seen. Uh, and the reason I say this is because you can't change the sky. You can't change the sky clock and we're coming into a new era. Can we have a period of time that sucks Royal? Yeah, we can. Does anyone know how long that will be? I think anyone who claims to know is guessing. Uh, but I think in the long run, the, the tide of human consciousness is coming in. I think the sky clock starts to prove that out. And when an age changes, is there any organization of men or women that can change that? And I would suggest from my point of view, the answer to that is no way. They might hold that wave off the beach for an hour or two, but eventually tide's coming in and that's what's going on in our world. But there's a lot to go through here and I apologize to you for having to look at so much mainstream nonsense, Uh, but let's do what we can to start to add Some provable stuff, some logical stuff, and maybe a more realistic view of what we can put together. And even opening this episode by saying the Renaissance is not this big enlightenment. It's far from it. Just because there's art that you can admire, I would point out that even characters like Michelangelo. Notice I said character. You don't even know who or what he is. I will endeavor to show who or what he is. They supposedly found buried statues from some period a thousand years before, where they were openly admitting this is the height of human endeavor, we can't even come close to replicating it, and yet we sit here and act like what came out of the Renaissance was the be-all and end-all. In fact, what happened was the idea of a rock star emerged. Who made that statue? Let's make him famous. Not what does that statue represent. What are the ideas encompassed and basically for a good part of the Renaissance the art that was being produced a lot of it was just replicating what had come before the difference being is that the high lofty natural ideas of how nature works are lost and now we're just looking at a statue that we're going to call beautiful and by the way someone signed it because he needs to be a rock star. In my view, there is the click over to the beginning of hypermaterialism that's brought us to where we are, but where do you want to jump in here? According to mainstream history, a cultural revolution began in Italy
1: in the early 1300s and is said to have lasted for the next 300 years. A significant amount of the occurrences that are now called the Renaissance are attributed to the Medici family, who had a long and far-reaching dynasty who dealt with much wealth and power but also had a strong passion for culture,
0: most especially the arts. So these people hid who they really were in ancestry. Um, They acted like they were all about the Christian church um, or the so-called, I guess we should call it Catholic church at that point. I'm not really sure exactly where the dividing line is, but clearly Vatican comes first. Uh Uh-oh, looks like the dog's going to start bugging me here. So, Um, But the point I would make is that As we go along here, we're going to show that these are some of the original bankers, probably inheriting banking ideas from maybe the Knights Templar and these ideas. The foundation of the banking that moves forward to our era and all the things we don't like about it, starting to get roots here, which is a big tell. Who owns banking?
1: The House of Medici was an Italian banking family and political dynasty, They are said to have first attained wealth as well as political power in the city of Florence in the 13th century through successes in commerce and banking. Beginning in 1434 with the rise to power of Cosimo de' Medici, or Cosimo the Elder, the family's support of the arts and humanities made Florence into what the mainstream calls the cradle of the Renaissance, comparing it to a cultural flowering that was only rivaled by ancient Greece. The Medici Bank was the largest in Europe during the 15th century, and it facilitated the family's rise to political power in Florence, although they officially remained citizens instead of monarchs until the 16th century.
0: So here's my problem. And it's everybody's problem. I'm not a bigot. People are born who they're born. But why did these guys need to hide who they were? Um, And they did. And so much of the art, you know, they're calling this the cradle of the Renaissance in Florence. That's the mainstream derivative that we've all been told our whole life. You can go there and see the art. Um, But when you begin to take apart the art, and we'll talk a bit later about what actually went into the Sistine and who did it Michelangelo did it and he was basically owned operated and supported by this family and he also is not who you think he is um why did they hide it why did they need to hide it um and that's the tell why do you have to lie and so some of these guys are going to become popes and yet there's something else altogether and I would go so far as to say the founding of the Vatican was done by this basic family line. Um, these are hard things to demonstrate, but I'll even cite some some books people can look up. As a matter of fact, a follower, as I was doing the research for how did Rome actually fall and how did it become the Vatican, a follower who had heard me speak about it sent me a book, um, The Secret Society of Moses or something like this. And it was astonishing to, to be handed that at the time, because I didn't agree with a lot of things in the book, but the overarching ideas are sound and pretty much lined up with right where I was. So I'll cite these uh, as we go along. If anyone wants to go look on their own and look at other people who are honestly trying to assess, how did we really get the Vatican? How, how did this all really happen? Rome fell, barbarians came and kicked their butt, and then all of a sudden the Senate doors are on a basilica in, uh, in what we're going to call Catholic Rome. How did that really happen? But we'll get there. The Medici
1: family are said to have come from the agricultural Mugello Valley region that is north of the city of Florence, with them arriving in Florence itself sometime around 1200. Mainstream history says that they are first mentioned in a document from the year 1230. The origin of the Medici family name is said to be uncertain. The family's rise to power began with the founding of the
0: Medici Bank in Florence in the year 1397. (laughs) Come on, man. Mainstream history. Can can you suffer a little logic here? So you're going to tell me we don't know where this powerful family came from. Nobody seems to know where they came from. Um, And we think maybe the year 1230, but by the time 1397 rolls around, they own it all. And they are the banking concern. And again, this is also another demonstration of my assertion that what the renaissance and the rise of this family is all about hypermaterialism. Because before this, money was not the be-all and end-all. Banking was not the be-all and end-all. And these guys, in my mind, represent all the things we don't like about banking today. These are some of the earliest accounts. And it's tough, you know, go ahead and try to figure out any real history of any kind about the Knights Templar. You can't really do it, at least not at this point, not that I'm aware of, unless you have sources that I haven't got my hands on. Um, But this is the double reverse. Really, you can't tell me where the Medici family came from. I think I can. I think I can tell you that they're related directly to the 24 priestly bloodlines that came out of bondage in Babylon, reestablished the temple in Israel, and then proceeded to infiltrate Rome. That's what I think went on.
1: Interestingly, Medici is the plural of medico, meaning medical doctor. The earliest origins of this family are difficult to track, as the Medici family later tried to ennoble their lineage by inventing legends and stories. Regardless, the founder of the family is said to be Medico di Patrone, who lived around the year 1000 and was a doctor by profession. Medici is the Italian word for doctors. It is said that almost immediately upon arriving in Florence, they were enrolled in the Guild of Doctors and Apothecaries. Additionally, in a deed that is dated to the year 1201, A man named Giambuano is considered to be the historical founder of the family. At the end of the 13th century, two members of the family, Scoleo and Gano, were part of the Guelph party, the same family as Dante Alighieri.
0: All right, here we go. We're getting into it. There's the tie from mainstream historical accounts into the Guelphs. I will remind, we've touched on this a number of times, there was the idea of the white Guelphs and the black Guelphs. People have problems with this because depending on what you want to portray, some people will say the idea of the Black gulfs is because of the Moors, and there is a Moorish tie there, but it is not the reason that I accept for the Black Gulfs. The White Gulfs had never done things like war and caused death to maintain their power. The Black gulfs did it all day long. They earned the name Black, and it's not directly to do with skin color. That's my point of view, and I think that even some of the histories we can see begin to point it out. But let's let's take a look here. So these guys were so powerful that our idea of medicine to this day carries their moniker for their name, which seems to have been changed at some point along the way. And I'll tell you why. Because you can't have a Semitic-sounding name, so you got to get that Italian-sounding name. And this happens over and over. The name Flavius and the supposed man Josephus, same thing. Uh, Flavius is not a Semitic name. Um, They take it on, so they begin to blend in. But here's the thing. In the year 1000, anyone doing medicine would have almost certainly been doing what we currently call alchemy and these what we assume now are the most powerful, natural ways to do a thing that we currently call medicine. Um, And this is what they began to hide. These guys had all the best information from the period we call pagan, from the natural sciences, and they set about obscuring it and wrapping it all up in the allegory of the Catholic Church and slowly outlawing anything that came before, while at the same time replicating pagan art and then art that basically lifted the mostly Old Testament figures. Although there are a number of... uh, Pietas or whatever they call them, Jesus and Mother. There's a few of those around, but the majority of the art, uh, you're going to be able to tie directly to the Old Testament. Why would that be? Because the whole idea of the founding of the Vatican, which is this period of time, this is what's going on, is about the New Testament, about Jesus. That's the whole game. And yet, that game is never displayed in the way you would expect. It, it is not given prominence, even to the point where Mother Mary becomes one of the main things pointed at. And anyone who's read the Bible knows that shows up in a couple of lines. But that also echoes back to the pagan ideas, the ISIS idea, to be perfectly frank.
1: The Ordinances of Justice These were a series of statutory laws enacted in the Republic of Florence of Northern Italy between the years 1293 and 1295. These laws were directed against and identified by name, particularly influential and or aristocratic families and what were called Ghibelline sympathizers. Those so identified were said to possess an aggressive and ungovernable nature. The primary reason behind these ordinances were to prevent these people from holding office and, if they committed certain crimes, their punishments could be doubled. In later years, the severity of the ordinances of justice were made somewhat less severe, but they stayed in force. These ordinances ensured that the guilds of Florence retained control of the city and effectively acted as a constitution for the Republic of Florence throughout the time of the Italian
0: Renaissance. All right, do I even need to to tell anyone what's logically going on here? You have this family called Medici, which is hiding its Semitic origins. Um, and what they're doing here is they've got so much power in banking, and Lord knows other ways, they are preventing the old nobility from ever holding important positions. They're replacing them, basically, to the point where the entirety, from my point of view at this moment, uh, until I either know more or see other things that confirm it beyond doubt, there are no no what I would call actual, original, normal royal bloodlines. And they're all replaced. And what you're seeing here are early episodes of that to the point where between what's going on here and what goes on at the Vatican, all of the so-called royalty in, uh, in Europe is going to be replaced. And do I need to point out who they're replaced with? It's going to be Sister Susie, Brother John, Martin Luther, Bill and Don, Uncle Ernie, Auntie, you following? It's going to be their bloodline, their relations that take all the seats that matter.
1: The first person of note is Giovanni di Bici de Medici, who lived approximately from 1360 until February of 1429. He was an Italian banker and was the one who founded the Medici Bank the act of founding the bank is the event that initiated the family's rise to power in the city of Florence. He is the first member of the family to create a significant network of merchants around himself and his family. Of course, they went on to become a wealthy family of bankers, with Giovanni being one of the richest Florentines of the 15th century.
0: Man, as we're doing this, I'm all—you know—Giancarlo could add so much because he would understand what Bici de Medici. We know Medici, um, but Bici and Giovanni—these are all going to have uh, literal meanings and maybe implied meanings. So hopefully Giancarlo can show up if he's catching episodes these days and and add some insider, I speak Italian knowledge to what we're breaking down here, but. What's being worked out here is as we go to hypermaterialism, which is basically foundationally laid by banking, by putting a monetary value on everything and putting people in a position where you want to live there, you got to pay to live there. And uh, I've read accounts where 98% of the arable land at this point was owned by so-called Roman nobility, which had already been infiltrated, and people like this. And so they basically had taken every scrap of land there is and put a monetary value on it, claimed rights to it, elevated themselves to a royalty that they didn't deserve from my point of view. That is my point of view. And they began to take control with an iron fist of everything. And at the very base of it, hypermaterialism that we call banking is what's facilitating it. That is the bazooka. That is the fake nuclear weapon, the power of the coin. Giovanni
1: never held any political office, but he gained strong popular support for the introduction of a proportional system of taxation. A proportional tax is one that is imposed so that the tax rate is fixed with no change as the taxable base amount increases or decreases. The amount of the tax is in proportion to the amount subject to taxation.
0: So there it is, man. Look what they're inventing here. Look what they're starting to canonize as the way the world will work. Um, These are maybe some of the earliest counts from a mainstream derivative. It's hard to prove that. Um, But I would point out, what is the idea of taxation? The idea is that someone is so powerful, they can say, I have control or I own these things, and you're going to get taxed as as a side effect. Most people are very familiar with the idea of royalty pulling this off. Why? Because the royalty is claiming they own it all. And so if you want to breathe, eat, hunt in the woods, or not be killed for poaching, you damn well better follow our rules. And again, I will state it, the underpinning of the power is coin, is banking.
1: Giovanni set about developing a close business relationship with Baldassare Cossa, Pope Boniface IX's papal treasurer. At this time, The Catholic Church was mired in the Western Schism that saw multiple concurrent popes claiming to be the rightful successor to St. Peter. As Cosa secured further promotions, the Medici Bank was always close at hand. Following Cosa's election as Pope John XIII in 1410, Giovanni's Bank became an important source of loans for the new pope. Although John was acknowledged as pope by numerous European states, including France, England, Bohemia, and Portugal, he was based in Pisa and faced competition from the Roman claimant, Gregory the Twelfth. Keen to establish his authority, John borrowed thousands of florins from the Medici bank to finance a military campaign. By January of 1412, John had been forced to take out further loans, and he made the Medici the official bank of the papacy. In Rome, Gregory XII was protected by King Ladislaus of Naples, who defeated John's army in 1413 and forced him to sign a peace treaty involving the payment of 95,000 florins. This transaction was handled by the Medici Bank, of course, which went on to become one of Europe's most powerful and influential
0: institutions during the late medieval period. These guys related to the Rothschilds, is that what's going on here? Do you see how it works when the coin is now the underwriting concern for control of everything? You can decide if a war is fought. As a matter of fact, you can decide who wins the war by simply underfunding them or overfunding them, or you can prolong it by funding both sides. Uh, We've covered Pope, who I call Boldface. Pope Boldface is the guy who openly basically states that we're anti-Christian. Uh, in a number of ways, but here here it is. These guys are not Christian. Uh, they would be better described as pagan, but truly they are Semitic, which is being hidden. Um, but here's the thing. Pope John allows them to become important for the loans. Well, what happened there? I'll tell you what happened there. Usury happened there, which at this time was a mortal sin in the eyes of Christianity, usury. So what happens is they take these loans and they are put in such a precarious position they are then owned and operated from either the interest or not being able to pay them and where does this go well it goes with the medicis deciding which side's going to win by funding or not funding and what do they get what do they walk away with they are basically the bank of the vatican and again these people are not christian Uh, so there it is there's your double reverse there's your taking down from the inside and what's going on here is the exact same thing in degrees, with the fall of Rome, in my view.
1: What I see here, and I do wonder about the Rothschild thing, is if they looked back on history and learned to get their empire set up. But what's going on here, while the Medicis didn't have lawful control, so to speak, they played all the right cards to have the control of people who could manipulate things on the political spectrum.
0: And that's it. Yeah, you're spot on. What we've seen, we've even seen quotes from Rothschilds and others who says, I don't give a damn who the monarch is. I own the bank. Uh, They dance to my tune because they owe me everything. Um, I can call in these loans at every time. It's a bit baffling at times uh, where you kind of think, well, why didn't the king or queen or the supposed royal just put an army in and go take these guys down? Uh, But it didn't happen, did it? Um, And I think part of it is, is because they needed more money all the time. Or who knows? Um, But I think at the base of it, it's because they're all related um, before this goes on too far. And by the way, what do we know about the Rothschilds? They're from a similar bloodline, are they not? They're certainly Semitic. Um, So, And by the way, at some point, I'm going to have to stop and talk about that. Because I think there's an argument to be made that they scapegoated the idea of being Jewish um, to deflect who they actually are. Um, And while they do apparently share the religion and the idea of the pagan concerns, which is basically just natural sciences, to be clear about it, uh, they hid it all. And they hid it all because it was better. They hid it all because it was trustworthy. Any natural science thing you bring to bear is working within the scope of nature. And so all these artificial things that come later are going to be a pale shadow, um, basically. But here it is, man. This is <laughs> the beginning of what happened in 2020. All this stuff we don't like about the world. Uh, that Here are some of the beginnings of the cement drawing on the foundations for this hyper materialism. Everything has a monetary value idea that starts in this area somewhere.
1: Now, I believe the only time, at least off the top of my head, I can think of where bankers had something bad happen to them was when King Philip II, I believe it was, went after the
0: Templars. Well, even that is is a foul tale told. And you can logically put it together so our whole idea of 13 being an unlucky number um, maybe not the whole idea but a big part of it is the idea of friday the 13th which is the idea of all the templars get whacked on this night but it's it's not true these guys are probably the original bankers who start to do all the things that we would recognize in banking today to include usury i would state and again in Christian, true Christian tradition, that was a mortal sin. To Usury was one of the highest sins. And if you don't believe me, go read Dante's Inferno, because the guy in hell, as Dante goes down into the rings of hell, who was a usurer, he's being sodomized as his punishment. That's what they thought about usurers. Um, but... How is it that you can even start to claim that the Knights Templar were all taken out? That happened in one country, maybe a little bit in in a couple of neighboring places. And it was openly said that the Knights Templar were everywhere and that it was international banking. They didn't end at all. They just went underground, which makes you also be able to tie them to Israel Right? Jerusalem. So, what's going on there? Are we looking at more people that are for some reason hiding their ancestry? Um, I think it's probable, to be honest with you. In
1: 1414, Giovanni bet on the permanent return of the papacy to Rome after a long period of exile and schism. He proved to be correct as the papacy was permanently installed in Rome in 1417 under a single pope after the deliberations of the Council of Constance. Rewarding Giovanni for his support, Pope Martin V gave Giovanni's general manager control of the apostolic chamber. Later on, other popes would also make use of the services of the Medici banks. Additionally, Giovanni is said to have been able to secure tax farming contracts and the rights to many alum mines from the papacy. He set his family on the path to becoming one of the richest dynasties in Europe, thereby making an essential stride towards its later cultural and political prominence. One way in which he laid the groundwork for this was by marrying Picarda Bueri, whose old and respectable family brought him a large dowry. Once the gates were open, the stream of currency seemed to flow ever deeper
0: into the Medici coffers. There it is, man. In a previous bullet point, we've basically pointed out that banking and power at this level can determine whether a war even begins and who wins the war. So now what you're seeing is the wholesale control of the so-called Vatican by people who are not Christian, provably not Christian. They may be sitting in the chapel, they may be doing all these things, but we'll go through the art later to make the point in a way that's really undeniable. But now they're doing that same old thing where they're trying to intermarry. But what that does is it starts to give them leverage to replace basically all of what are going to be called kings or queens in Europe with their cousin, their cousin twice removed, basically them, their gang, their group, their family. The people they approved. And this is how it starts. And this underscores the problem with hypermaterialism and the problem with putting a monetary value on every damn thing in this world. Because once a, we we could call them a corporation, I guess, maybe, um, a corporation gets that much power, it's like Amazon or Google Now. No one can contain them. The power is so overwhelming, they don't even have to care about governments or laws or anything because they own and operate them because they control so many things. Uh, It's crazy. And um, it's quite probable that even before our story here picks up with uh, Florence and the Medicis, that this is already being formed out. And if I had to venture an educated guess, it's on the backs of what the Knights Templar started. The founding of the bank gave the Medici family ready sources of capital,
1: enabling them to turn to such new lines of commerce as trading spices, jewelry, silk, and fruit. In addition, their ever-increasing financial power opened up new opportunities in civic government. Giovanni's two sons, Cosimo, who lived from 1389 to 1464, who acquired the appellation of the Elder, and Lorenzo, who lived from 1394 until 1440, founded the famous bloodlines of the Medici family that would survive into the next several centuries.
0: You know, there's, a, there's some stories about where the, the last Medici that lived. I don't accept it. Um, these people had bloodlined in to all the important positions in this one bullet point. So uh, mainstream history is going to tell me, oh, look, they got to expand into spices, jewelry, silk, and fruit. No, let me reframe that. What happens today when some genius young people come up with this new digital thing that's gangbusters? What happens? Google buys it. And they either throw it away because they don't want it to happen, or they simply absorb it. That's what's going on here. Um, They've got so much power and money, they just begin getting control or owning outright all the things that matter. And this is the problem with the Vatican. Because the Vatican is going to have spiritual, so-called spiritual control over most of the known world as this tale goes along. It's crazy to think about Uh, the people who were supposed to be Christian, who were supposed to be all they were as far away from it as you can be. And by the way, they were much closer to being better defined as pagan, which they were openly doing for a while. And by the way, if you're a pope of of Catholicism using the Bible and usury is a mortal sin and you're still going to do it, that tells you. And anyone can buy books on usury in the Vatican. And that is a telling, telling thing because it shows how you move away from spiritual concerns to basically hypermaterialism, where a gold coin is the only damn thing that matters because that buys you power.
1: The Medici family gradually expanded its banking activity internationally. They established what today would be defined as branches, branches. They did this not only within Italy, in cities like Rome, Venice, Milan, and Naples, but also throughout Europe. They established themselves in the most important European trade centers, including London, Geneva, Bruges, and Lyon. The primary bank was, of course, in Florence. The bank headquarters, called Tavola di Firenze, was responsible for coordinating all of the international banking operations. The headquarters was known as the Tavola di Firenze or the Table of Florence because of the name Tavolieri, seated at the table, given to the Florentine bankers as they performed their business seated behind a counter or
0: table. (laughs) So, John Wick, are we looking at your high table here? Um, I'm just saying, but here's some of the inside things. And in a second, here I'll cite a couple of books. And again, you never agree with everything. It's, it's, for me, the book is, is fantastic when the overarching ideas are what's holding water. That's what's important. Um, but London? Well, who controls the banking of the world right now? The city of London, right? Geneva? Oh, those lords of the universe over there in Switzerland. Bruges. But here's the real tell. And this came up time and time again in my research. L-Y-O-N. Lyon. That's lion. That's the lion of Judah. And if you go through all the royalty or so-called royalty, which I would, I guess, argue are not the original real royals, um, you will find over and over the lion rampant uh, on their coats of arms. And in my view, this is directly lifted from uh, the Lion of Judah idea. See where this goes? Let me grab two books and I'll list them.
1: During the time of Cosimo the Elder, The Medici family became the bankers of the Vatican and, as such, became famous throughout Europe. Wealth and prestige were always the commandments of the Medici family. Cosimo was quite famous for his skills as a businessman, but also for his patronage and artistic taste. So, too, are said to be all of his
0: successors. All right. This first one is um, the overarching ideas are sound. There are a lot of little side things that I don't think hold water, but it doesn't matter. The overarching argument is spot on. And I had arrived at endless ideas that were almost verbatim the same. It's called the secret society of Moses. And get this, the author is Flavio. (laughs) Hello, Flavius, Uh, Flavio Barbiero. Now the other one Um, This is a tough read for the simple reason that you have people who state they're Jewish and they're praising all these people who went in as hiding their ancestry and putting what they wanted in things that were then called Christian and handed off to the Christian community. And it's all about the art and the Sistine Chapel, which, by the way, in case you didn't know, the Sistine Chapel is a replicant of the Temple of Solomon. I kid you not. I mean verbatim, but that book is called The Occult Renaissance Church of Rome, and it's by Michael Hoffman, and I'm reasonably sure, it's hard to make the line for sure, uh, you guys have heard me talk about James Shelby Downard, there's a guy that worked with him called Michael Hoffman II, usually, might be the same guy, I haven't taken the time to track it back, Um, but basically what goes on here is they show you that everything Um, That was put into the so-called Vatican for the most part was Old Testament's Jewish heroes. And then they hid who they were. They hid the reasons why the art was there. And the people writing this book are proud of those lies that were proffered. And that's a bit much for me. If you're going to do a thing and you can't do it in the light of day, do you get to be proud of it. That's my simple measure. But there's all that, Jason. Cosimo
1: the Elder built the great wealth of the family, but he also gained fame linked to his wisdom. He was called a great man, but he did not want to appear so. Cosimo built a palace that was located in Via Larga for himself, but he had wanted it to look like the home of a merchant. He is known to have enriched Florence with works of art and was also known to have donated to libraries
0: and to churches. Well, it goes to show you, when you're this guy and you decide that you're going ninja, which looks to be what's being described here, uh, one of the richest men around anywhere, probably, uh, and he's going low profile. Um, I don't know if we'll cover it in this, but to the point where they even start creating whole walkways to keep them able to move throughout the city without having to intermingle with its people. But the works of art, It's almost all pagan, and the stuff that isn't pagan is propping up the Jewish heroes of the Old Testament, and then when you're donating to libraries and churches, what kind of influence do you think you're exerting there, right? Just saying.
1: Such success almost always brings enemies, and the Medici family had this from many sides. Opposition to the Medici family from other Florentine families and factions grew over the years. Some of the families who were supporters of the Medici family were Tornabuoni, Salviati, Cavalcanti, and Bardi, while some opponent names were Albizi, Guicciardini, and Corsi. These family names are represented today by street names in Florence. As a result of power struggles, some of the Medici family were subjected to exile. After a short time, however, Cosimo and his brother Lorenzo returned to Florence.
0: So you see what's going on here. Uh, Cosimo goes undercover trying to be low profile. Then there's this exile for whatever reason. Um, But basically the power of that coin and the power of the Vatican, they're right back where they ever are. Um, And by the way, we could really use someone like Giancarlo because as I'm seeing these names like Cavalcanti, is that a reference to a skeleton or a skull? I don't know. I'm just guessing. Uh, Hopefully he can show up and, uh, and lay down some truth about the naming of things, because in the name game, there is always something to see. Um, There just is. And as you pointed out, you can go there to this day, and the street names are still holding these names. So they definitely matter.
1: When Cosimo died in the year 1464, the Florentines gave him honors that were fit for royalty, and he was thereafter called Pater Patriae. Pater Patriae is a Latin honorific meaning father of the country or more literally father of the fatherland
0: <laughs> i thought the pope was supposed to be the father right well here cosmo <laughs> cosmo's the guy isn't he i mean what more do we need to say here And all you almost got to wonder if these guys are really dying or whether something else is going on there
1: he sounds more like the godfather huh
0: yeah well with their access to the old natural you know what we currently call alchemical medicine uh, lord only knows
1: Three successive generations of the Medici family ruled over Florence through the greater part of the 15th century. In order, they were Cosimo, Piero, and Lorenzo, and those three names got reused multiple times throughout the generations, by the way. They are all shown to have dominated the Florentine representative government, but did not abolish it. These three members of the Medici family had great skills in the management of what was called so restive and independent a city as Florence. When Lorenzo died in 1492, however, his son Piero proved quite incapable of responding successfully to challenges caused by the French invasion of Italy in 1492, and within two years, he and his supporters were forced into exile and replaced with a Republican government.
0: You know, you got to wonder, these guys ended up in the long run holding power with their banking, but how many times did it come down to a hair's breadth where it could have went the other way? I always wonder it. But when you look at what's gone on, Think about what's going on in the world now. Some of the worst lockdowns that I had reported to me were Italy and Spain. And in Italy, you can attribute all these kind of iron-fisted ideas back to this point, I think. Think of all the things that have come out of Italy or the idea of even mobsters, um, this kind of, we're not messing around here and we're not asking. I think these are the early vestiges of, I mean, how much of our world is influenced by what came out of Italy uh, it's it's incredible to think. As a matter of fact, I might go so far as to say there's not another small country in the world that affected so many things. As a matter of fact, if you want to tie it to what we call ancient Rome, I don't think there's any argument. Um, these These times affected us all the way up to the founding of the supposed American government. Even things like the Senate lifted from Rome these ideas.
1: You know, the one thing I didn't find in all of this is how exactly... They were able to get this bank going to such a strong degree so quickly in a short lifetime because obviously people didn't live quite as long back then for the most part as they do now. And I would think that starting a bank would require a lot of capital.
0: I think there's a multifaceted approach here. I would not be surprised that who we call the Medici understood what the Knights Templar were about because that's all attached to the Vatican right? What the Templars did. But the other thing is to be highly educated is critically important because you got to be able to do all these banking things, which takes a good education. Um, and by the way, even when Michelangelo gets in here at age 13 hint, 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 um, they're giving them the old classic what's called pagan education along with the so-called Christian along with a Jewish education because Michelangelo demonstrates openly in a lot of his arts that he speaks Hebrew or whatever the right word for that is, understands what the character means to the point where when Michelangelo is painting the Sistine Chapel, he's putting people's forms in the shape of Hebrew characters with represent ideas, which is lost supposedly on people in the Vatican, which I don't accept. I think they were all in on it. Um, But yeah, that's why you can't, no one's going to say, oh, well, here's where the Medici started because that's the tell, isn't it? They already had the leg up, they were already in the vein, Uh, they were highly educated, and with a little bit of capital, they were pretty quickly able to build it into a force that couldn't be stopped.
1: Piero de' Medici, Cosimo's son, lived from 1416 until 1469. He was only in power for five years, from the years 1464 to 1469. He was called Piero the Gouty because of the gout that pained his foot which also led to his death. Unlike his father, Piero had little interest in the arts. Due to his illness, he mostly stayed at home, bedridden, and therefore did little to further the Medici control of Florence while he was in power. As such medici rule stagnated until the next generation when piero's son lorenzo took over and again just to avoid confusion these names cosimo piero and lorenzo were reused multiple times throughout the different generations
0: to me and you'll never be able to prove it this whole bullet point sounds like a put up about piero Um, Let's logically look at, at what's going on here. So he's one of the wealthiest guys. He doesn't give a damn about the art, which they were all about. They are starting the Renaissance, according to mainstream history, but not this guy. He doesn't give a damn. Well, how do you get gout if I'm not mistaken? And if I do get it wrong, someone correct me, but I think eating too much meat had a lot to do with gout back in the day, but you were told flat out that they came from an ancient archaic medical system. Is there any way in hell someone who still hold all those natural, medical, huge volumes of knowledge wouldn't understand that gout was caused by probably eating too much meat? Doesn't it have something to do with acid? I hope I got all that right, but I'm just saying none of this rings true. It sounds to me like they were powerful beyond belief, and these little portions of the story are inserted to say, oh, look, hardship, it could have went the other way. Look, we almost lost it, or whatever You know, the idea is, instead of The truth being, uh, guess what? There's a Superman on the block, and nobody can stop Superman. That's what it feels like.
1: Lorenzo de' Medici, who lived from 1449 until 1492, was called the Magnificent. He was more capable of leading and ruling a city than his father, but is said to have neglected the family banking business, which led to its ultimate ruin. To ensure the continuance of his family's success, Lorenzo planned his children's future careers for them. He groomed the headstrong Piero II to follow as his successor in civil leadership. Giovanni, who would be the future Pope Leo X, was placed in the church at an early age. Lastly, his daughter Maddalena was provided with a sumptuous dowry to make a political advantageous marriage to a son of Pope Innocent VIII that cemented the alliance between the Medici and the Roman branches of the Cebo and Altoviti families.
0: Uh, come on, man. It's like talking out both sides of your mouth here. Um, oh, this guy couldn't hold up the banking fortune. Uh, and by the way, one of his kids is about to be Pope Leo X. Uh, that's a whole story in itself. And then they start talking about all the intermarriages with the other popes. What does that tell you about the genealogy of the men in charge of the so-called Vatican? See what I'm getting at here. We'll be able to address these things a little more in hour two for sure. Um, and it's not the sad part about saying that is it's not about bigotry because I'm not a bigot at all. It's about the truth. Why do you got to lie about who you are? Why do you have to ninja your way in and put all your little secret art and secret signs into all the Christian things and then tell the Christian people uh, that it's supporting what they're about when in fact it's not. It's supporting what they are about. And this is provable. You can't argue it. If you read no other book in your lifetime, read The Occult Renaissance of the Church of Rome to understand what Christianity was being shown and who actually owned it, controlled it, and put all the subconscious messaging in it. But if you really want to know something about our world and who runs it and how early it happened, go get The Secret Society of Moses. Um, I will vouch for the overarching ideas because I arrived at them before a follower ever put that book in my hand. But the point here is, um, history is not just a lie agreed upon, so is everything. And we're coming to a point where these things have to fall away. We're going into a new age. There's going to have to be a reckoning. All these old lies are going to have to rust and crust off, and someone's going to have to come shine the metal again. And that's what we're engaged in here. And in no way, shape, or form is this about bigotry, because I have no truck for bigotry, and I don't care who or what is being bigoted against. I am not down with it. Um, I think it's low-minded, and I think it's childish. When people do wrong, you point at the jackasses doing wrong, and you give them the attention, not whole groups of people. I will never be down with that. But Jason, I think we're close to the top of the hour. Anything you want to throw in before we queue up and come back to talk openly?
1: Well, right here, we're coming up to the end of the 1400s, and again, I'm seeing parallels with what the Rothschild family did. They've gotten in with all of the important people, so to speak, and can manipulate things as they see fit, really. They've got the money to throw around, and even
0: the important people have to come to them for when they want more money to do things. Well, here's the thing, man. If we took the time, could we tie Rothschild to Medici in some way or Rothschild to the Vatican in some way? I haven't ever looked at it, but what we find when we look, there are these little epicenters where it all happens and we're told Rome is that place. Well, did you know that every emperor forward from this point is a Flavius or from Gens Flavia and they all come from Panona? That's one city. What's going on there? What do you think is going on there? Look at the Rothschilds. We're told they're German. Well, who's the supposed current crown of England, if they're even around anymore? Those are Germans. It's not hard to find the epicenters now that we can see a little better. And if you dig and you put logic with it, uh, I would be very surprised if we couldn't tie all these concerns because it is my contention uh, that what we call royalty in Europe springs from this very point. In history, um, but that does bring the first hour of episode 235 to a close. Join us. This is a good one uh, to be able to talk about openly, just because of the content, uh, that the context and and the topic, um, and it's not about saying things that are unfair or accusatory. It's about saying things that we think are true based on research that are for some reason been hidden. And why is that? Why can't it come out into the light of day? So in hour two, we're going to say exactly what we think, and that will be at Crow777radio.com. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, if you're listening to this, you're at Crow777radio.com, but you have to become a member to get to the second hour where we preserve free speech in that way. Join us for hour two of 235, and we're going to roll through the Medici family, the Vatican, And to some degree, royalty and all the things that sprung from it, from the hyper materialization of our world at the point that banking became the foundational power of everything. There it is, man. Cheers.